Hi, Eric here from Socially Awkward Studios and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We hope you're going to enjoy this 4-Eyed Radio presentation. For more shows and podcasts, visit 4EyedRadio.com. While you're at it, why don't you visit HerMajesty'sPod.com slash contest and enter the 007 Holiday Returns Contest. That's right, we all get presents we just don't want. We want to take them back. Well, that happens with movies, too. And there's always something you want to take back from a Bond movie. Just one little thing that you would change if you could. Tell us all about it and win some fabulous 007 prizes right from the 4-Eyed Radio Network. Go to HerMajesty'sPod.com slash contest for all the details. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 49 and is being recorded on October 17th, 2014. Today's topic, Helm Officers. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Raven Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. So how are you this evening, Eric? I am well this evening. It's been a rough week work-wise. Uh, that's unfortunate. Um, I'm hoping that it gets better for you. Thank you. I don't know if it will, but we'll see. <laughs> we can uh, need to <laughs> keep the faith. A faith of the heart? Yes, some may say. <laughs> I'll keep trucking on. Good, 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 good. Well, how are you? Uh, not bad. Just turned 31 on Monday. Happy birthday. A very Thank happy you. birthday. Thank you. I bought some Star Trek stuff. What did you buy? <laughs> I bought a, <laughs> a Bajoran phaser. But I forgot, I also purchased... not this last weekend, but the weekend before, some Star Trek Hot Wheels. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I've seen those in stores, like, based off the original series, right? Yeah, yeah, so I, I got four of the six. I haven't been able to find Spock or McCoy, but I have Kirk, Sulu, Uhura, and Scotty. Nice. Yeah. So that Do you like them? Yeah, I haven't, un- I'm not going to open those up, uh, right. but those are cool. And, you know, they're actual vehicles yep. with those characters kind of, like, on a sticker, I guess, on them. Yeah, like, uh, like it's it's not really a sticker, but, like, it's painted on. So it's like, you know. Yeah. They did something similar for Power Rangers last year. They had uh, Power Ranger Hot Wheels. And Hot Wheels has been doing a lot of these character lines lately, especially with comic books, too. Right. Yeah, I've seen some of those because I... I've been to a few stores looking for the other two that I'm missing, and I saw a ton of different ones from comic books. Like so you're know. missing uh, Spock and Sulu? Spock and McCoy. Oh, McCoy. Yeah. Well, that's part of the triumvirate. You have yeah. to... Well, I'll, be, I'll look out for them for you. Thank you. You also received uh, something from me. I did. I received four Borgs to add to my collective. And um, and some patches and and posters. Yeah, so that yeah. Awesome. Um, big thanks to Star Trek XNR. They actually sent me double perks. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> and when I told them about it, because when they when I got it again, I was like, oh, I kept the T-shirt by the way, because I'm like, I can never have too many Star Trek. Oh, oh that's that's fine. And it was three XL. You'd probably swim in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. They actually sent me to, like, a second perk. I went to the my apartment office to pick up some mail, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, we also have this other package. And it was I wasn't even expecting it. I was like, whoa. And I saw Star Trek Axon. I was like, what? I actually contacted them. I said, oh, you guys accidentally shipped me a second set of my perks. And the um, the woman that was running their fulfillment, she's like, well, we can't really do much about it, so enjoy. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so I wanted to pass on the the Star Trekness. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I added it to my i I had to put in a second shelf here or a mm-hmm. second bookcase type thing yeah. to house all of my Star Trek because with you know the new Borg. Yeah. I posted today uh, <laughs> to have people stop letting me, or keep me from buying Star Trek. It's not going to happen. I'm going to keep buying Star Trek. But I'm going to run out of room. <laughs> yes, slow down. Yes, I'm going to run out of room. Because uh, that comic book store that I bought the Bajoran Phaser from today mm-hmm. also had Bajoran Tricorder. It had a couple of uh, ships. It, I, I think it Oh, had, that's dangerous. Yeah, it had the Sovereign toy. Actually, I have the Sovereign toy if you want to buy that from me. I've got it loose. That's a possibility. So I'm just throwing out there. Okay, possibility. We'll see. They had some other things. They had the flag from Into Darkness, the United Federation of Plants flag. Mm -hmm. The newer design with the cog shape going around. And uh, some of those chip of the line... Yeah, those mini ships. The mini ones. They had a couple of those, which cool. I thought were cool. Which I almost grabbed. They had the Vorcha. See, if if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna go all into that and get all of them. But I don't have the money right now or the space. Right. No, I I hear you. That's I think I'm it's thinking. a great line. Oh yeah, they're very cool. Our our friend Clive is doing a review of all of them as he gets them. Which is great because I like reading his reviews and I like. I torture myself with something I can't have right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's cool. I know <laughs> over at the Ranger Command Power Hour. Yes. Done a lot of shows recently. You're up to 25 now, right? Yes, we are releasing. Well, as of when this episode is released, um, our 25th episode will be out, and we recently did an interview with uh, the cast of a fan film that's gaining a lot of traction called Teenagers with Attitude. And it's kind of like a reimagining of the first episode of Power Rangers. Well, that's cool. Did they go through Kickstarter or was that... No, actually, this this first one was made on a budget of $500. Oh, that's not bad at all. And it looks amazing. The person who created it was the writer, director. He did all the effects. He did a lot of stuff. And I guess for their second episode, quote-unquote, they're actually going to do a Kickstarter. But I think they've got like 50,000 views right now on YouTube. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'll have to check them out. And you also got some Party City stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I got some Party City stuff as being a member of the Power Force, which is uh, Saban Brand's kind of uh, marketing initiative. They pick Mm -hmm. some of the, quote-unquote, most knowledgeable fans. 
and they kind of sent out a prize pack with Party City stuff, so you can get all your Power Ranger Halloween goodies at Party City. That's awesome. Did you post the picture, or are you going I, to post the picture on <laughs> of you in that uh, costume on the Ranger Command Power Hour? I already posted it on my Twitter, which okay, I think sorry. is enough. Okay. All yeah, right. it's and then I also did a video review where I embedded I those. Okay. Yeah. I embedded those pictures, but they went by in a split second. Oh. So, okay. That's probably why I missed it. Yeah, like it was literally blink and you miss it. I, it was one of those like subliminal things. So. I was also. Yeah, I don't want. I, I don't want people looking at those pictures longer than they have to. <laughs> Yeah, those uh, that was quite an interesting. I mean, could you breathe in that? It looked like you couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. Yeah, the material isn't very giving. <laughs> my problem is I'm so tall uh-huh. that I almost had to dislocate my shoulder just to pull the thing over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so they, it comes with like a hood, right? That serves as the mask. But my glasses were like at the mouth level of where the thing is. It was like it was. So it looked like the head was, like, this big, and it was... Could you see? That's the thing. On the packaging, it says, oh, it's a material that you can easily see out of bullshit. (laughs) Because I couldn't see crap. Anyone fully wearing that Mm -hmm. is almost blind. Mm. So I didn't really say that in my review. See, the packaging says, easily see and breathe through. No! The picture looks nothing like... <laughs> well, look, they've got, they've got the real guy on the, on the corner yeah. showing you how bad this really is. Yeah. You want to look like this, but you're going to look like this. Or yeah. in my case, not good at all. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to uh, <laughs> listening to your... Oh, great. Well, thank you. That's enough plugging. Let's get to the news. The news. So, uh, at Destination Star Trek 3 in London, passed just last weekend, I believe, mm-hmm. and the Federation of Beer, which we've talked about before, yes. released a one-time run of a beard called Syndicate, spelled S-I-N-D-I-C-A-T-E, Lager, oh. and the label featured an Orion Seductress. Hey the, now. Art, the art of the label is uh, pretty good. I, I give it two thumbs up. I'm looking at it now. I also give it two thumbs up. Yeah. Or three. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish uh, it was something. I still haven't been. I haven't been able to find either the Vulcan Ale or the Klingon Warnog anywhere uh, locally. You may have to specially order it. <laughs> Probably. And it looks like we won't be able to try Syndicate Lager since it was just a one-time run at at Destination Star Trek 3, unfortunately. Let's see. It says where where to buy. Oh, well, both of these are available in Canada, so we're never going to see it. Oh, the um, Warnog. The Vulcan Ale and the Warnog. Yeah. They're only available in Canada. Although it's brewed in the U.S. What the F? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. I'll just go to the brewery. I'll just go straight there. There you go. You can't even buy it online. This is an outrage. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Returning from Destination Star Trek 3, William Shatner tweeted, I'm back! (laughs) Many took this to mean he was back in the next Star Trek movie, 
when in fact he was only referring to being back in the U.S. <laughs> I think it, it, when it, it gets to a point where people are speculating and reading his tweets and it becomes news on Trek Today, I think we need to calm down a little bit about this next movie. Yeah, I saw some of the tweets, and Shatner wasn't really happy that people kind of ran with this as a story. Well, he may not be happy about it, but what do you expect when you're William Shatner mm-hmm. and you tweet something vague like that? Right. And that could be anything. Yeah, and it, it, we don't know if it was him or someone that works for him who tweeted it. Who knows if he even knows what Twitter is? No, I think he knows what Twitter is. I'm pretty sure he does all of his own tweets. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, don't jump to conclusions, people. Especially when we're still like a year and a half away from this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, you know how people are. I mean, it's in every fandom, I'm sure they're <laughs> the same way. So, uh, sorry, fellas. <laughs> On October 11th, Linda Park married Daniel Bess in Los Angeles. Damn it! <laughs> this is an outrage. It is. And I, I believe Linda Park has a Boston connection. I believe she went to Boston University. Oh, wow. So. Well, look at you. Yeah. Having a connection there. I had a connection. <laughs> and and you missed it. <laughs> I was. In high school, probably, well, she was, or maybe not even in high school when she was in in Boston. So that wouldn't have worked out, unfortunately. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Online's Delta Rising expansion pack has been released. The storyline picks up 32 years after Voyager's return to Earth. Jerry Ryan, Robert Picardo, Garrett Wang, Ethan Phillips, and Tim Russ lend their voices to the game. You know what? Mm-hmm. This is the thing that's going to make me play this game now. Is it? Yes. Hmm. I'm serious. I actually looked at the um, pictures yep. and also the trailer. Mm-hmm. I'm all in. All this right. looks awesome. Not just because it's Voyager or because it's Voyager? Oh, because it's Voyager. Like, I'm... Oh, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> they lend their voices to it. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I believe uh, Tim Russ has done it in the past Yeah. as well. What I like is the trailer kind of replicates in-game the beginning of the Star Trek Voyager theme. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. But it recreates it all from footage that's in the game, which I think is awesome. Yeah. No, that was cool. Maybe we can play online together sometime. Because I do have an account. I I played once. I have a ship. Wait, so you started actually playing? I played once uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get started on this. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I I think we might have briefly talked about this. You can't be in Andorian, unfortunately. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can be a Klingon, I believe. And well, that's great for you. Well, I, I, I picked a human. I was a human. Oh. I don't want to be a Klingon. What? what? You're yeah. all about the Klingons. I'm all about the Borg. I just like, you like the ships. Oh, you just like the ships. I just like the ships. Fine. Whatever. And the weapons. The weapons are cool. So, next up. Actually, have you seen this? If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. The I have not seen this. Oh, you have to see it. What I'm talking about is the Star Trek Horizon trailer, which has been released. It takes place on board 
an NX class starship. I believe the USS Discovery. Oh wow! It's pretty high quality. That's amazing. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it looks like from the trailer, the future guy is involved with what? What? Yeah, and they they do mention the USS Enterprise interfering. Not it wasn't the was it the USS Enterprise at that time or just Enterprise? It was just Enterprise. Yeah, it, there was uh, no USS. Okay, I wasn't sure, but the rhyme one said they interfered. I believe they were talking to the future guy, and uh, yeah, so it looks interesting. And the trailer says they'll be ready this winter, so keep an eye out for that. Well, I'm I'm all set aboard for Horizon. That looks. That's good. That sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. Definitely. So CBS has announced a streaming service called CBS All Access for $6 a month. The service will include all five live-action Star Trek series, 5,000-episode library of classic shows, current and past seasons of CBS programming. Some live local CBS channels will also be available depending on your area. So is this going to affect all the Star Trek series that are on Netflix? I'm not sure if it will affect Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. Okay, because, yeah, I like that Star Trek is that widely available. Right. This Obviously, the CBS All Access isn't just Star Trek-based. It's right. uh, They have a 5,000-episode library of tons of classic shows, which will be ad-free. Only more modern series will have ads similar to Hulu Plus. Which isn't that bad. Like I, I have Hulu Plus, and I really don't mind the ads. Like If I'm cutting cable completely, which I've been cable-free for two years now, mm-hmm. I really don't mind the couple ads that I see on Hulu every now and then. It's right. not bad. Like, that's kind of the price you pay for cutting the cable anyway. Right. I just like the freedom of watching stuff whenever I want. Yes, that's very true. I also have Hulu Plus, and the ads aren't aren't that bad at all. It's less than what you would see if you were watching cable. Exactly. So it, it works out. And You can also, it says on their website that you can try a week for free. Right. So why not? Yeah, why not try a week? Like we said, depending on your area, they do have live CBS streaming. I actually just checked. Mm-hmm. It is available in my area, the live TV. There you go. I checked, and I, it just kept on spinning, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> but on the map, it looked like it was in my area. Now, what would get me to sign up for this is if they came out with an Xbox app on the One or the 360. I believe that they are going to expand to other devices. I think they want to make it as widespread as possible. If they do that, I'll sign up for it. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it seems to be a trend because HPO just... Yes. ...that they're going to allow you to purchase their HPO Go subscription without needing a cable subscription. So I might I, do that, too, just for Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, so this uh, seems to be a trend. Maybe a lot of other networks will follow, and I don't know what that will mean for the cable industry. 
Sorry. Well, I think the, I think the cable industry needs to get their game together yep. and stop, or at least offer a la carte service. Right. I mean, let's pick what we want to see, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, next up, Garrett Wang tweeted today, uh, so it's official after experiencing shortness of breath while flying to Hong Kong and Taipei the next day. I have pneumonia. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. He's in the hospital right now. Oh, we wish him the best. Uh, Garrett's really great at interacting with fans on Twitter, mm-hmm. and he's really great on the convention circuit. I haven't met him yet, but I really look forward to the day I do because he's a really cool guy. Yeah, he seems it. He seems really down to earth and funny. Yeah. Which I wish they had more of the funniness in the show with him. They did to to an extent, like with the whole seven and nine thing. Yeah. But yeah. But he's pretty talented. I wish Harry Kim got more uh, play on Voyager. Next, Harlan Ellison, known to Trek fans as the writer of the teleplay for the original series episode City on the Edge of Forever, is in the hospital recovering from a stroke. Yeah. And that, that happened just this past weekend, I believe. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so we wish him the best. Definitely. He's very polarizing in the Star Trek fandom. I mean, he's been pretty you know, angry at... Because mm-hmm. uh, with the city on the edge of forever, I guess it was the end product was nothing like his original uh, pitch for the episode. Mm-hmm. So... But anyways, I we we hope he gets better too. Yeah, uh, definitely. So and uh, finally on our news here, the season seven Blu-ray of Star Trek: The Next Generation will be available to purchase on December second, and the episode All Good Things will also be available to purchase separately. Boy, I still wish they were doing those Fathom events. I would. Yeah. I would love to see. All good things on the big screen. That would be amazing. All good things has to be the best finale of any Star Trek series. Hands down. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Probably one of the best of the series episodes in general. Yeah. Of uh, the next generation. I mean, Next Gen had so many great episodes, it's hard to pick. but But that one, it really ended with a bang. Yeah. I'm glad one of the special features is about the making of the episode, too. Yeah, yeah, it's always... That's cool. If you have Netflix, they have this episode, All Good Things. Yeah. And they also have Journey's End, the making of Star Trek The Next Generation, that the last episode in the queue. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so I'll have... Oh, I'll have to check that out. Now, do you know if on Netflix they've been replacing the streams with the Blu-ray versions or the remastered? Uh, They haven't, and I know Hulu had at least up to season two. I don't know if they've continued to uh, update their streams or not, though. I'll have to check on that. But they had up to season two remastered? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, because I would love to buy these Blu-rays. They are just so expensive. You're paying almost 100 bucks or more per season. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and as you can see back here, I have on DVD the next gen. Oh, um, man. So I... You're, I you'd be double dipping. Yeah, it, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. So, but, I mean, they're beautiful. I do have... 
Best of Both Worlds Blu-ray of the remastered, the remastered Blu-ray of, of that episode. I have the Blu-rays for the first, well, the original series. I've got all those Blu-rays. Okay. Because that was only because Amazon had this, like, amazing deal last year. Mm-hmm. And I was able to pick up all those seasons for, like, I think it was, like, 25 bucks or something. It was ridiculous. That's not bad, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but what I like about the Blu-rays, at least on the original series, and I don't know if they're doing this for the next gen, but they have the original broadcast episode and the remastered version. Oh, that's cool. So I would hope that these next generations have the same, mm-hmm. but I don't know because I don't collect them. Yeah, but if if you've collected them, uh, let us know. That would be cool. Yeah, please do. So that, that does it for the news this week. So let's move on to the Would You Buy It? Eric, would you buy? Um, mm, no. No? I'm going to say no on this one. Okay. I would say probably I would. I would probably get this. Uh, so what are we talking about? Metal Earth model kits, which will be available November this year <laughs> via Entertainment Earth. The first Four sets of these metal kits include the Klingon Bird of Prey, the original series Enterprise, the Klingon Vorcha, and the USS Enterprise NCC 1701D. And they kind of look, they're cool, they're little metal model kits that like you snap together and make a ship. And it's all in metal. Metal, yep. Yeah, I just... I don't know. For me, I I don't have the time to assemble model kits now. <laughs> oh well, they're it's very small and like, and that's the thing. They're too small. I don't know. Okay. To me, it's it's not worth it. They come in two sheets. Yeah, and you pop the pieces out and you bend yeah. it and yeah. Eh, I'm not very enthused about this product. And there are very little products on this show that I've said I wouldn't buy it. That's true. That's very true. I've seen Star Wars ones. Actually, I just saw some Star Wars ones at Bed Bath & Beyond, of all places. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe they'll get them here. I, I only want the the Cleon Vorcha, just because I don't have the Cleon Vorcha. Do you need to say it, it like that? Is it Vorcha? Vorcha? Yeah. Vorcha. Vorcha. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. Vorcha. It's the Vorcha. If any Klingon speakers out there can help me with the pronunciation, please do. I believe I think, it's Vorcha. Okay. Emphasis on the cha. Um, I think the price point yeah. is okay, like 12 bucks. That's not bad. But for me, that's 12 bucks I could be spending on something else that's not this. Uh, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not a fan. I think if you're gonna do a model kit, you get like a nice big one and mm-hmm. you assemble it. And I don't so know. I, th- I think this would make like a good stocking stuffer. Oh, oh yeah, for kids, mm-hmm. this is great as a stocking stuffer. I think that would be great if they're into Star Trek and modeling. Oh yeah, give them this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this will be ha- this will be something that we'll mention on our 
shopping guide, the holiday shopping guide. We're totally stealing that idea for Ranger Command Power I Hour. Saw, I saw a post, <laughs> which, is, which is cool. I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm going to give you props, though, oh, okay. in, when we do that. Thank you. I appreciate I, it. I won't forget you. <laughs> so uh, there we go. We get a no and a probably yes for at least one of them for the Vorcha. Yeah. Vorcha. Just, <laughs> just Vorcha. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go into the topic of the show, the Helm Officers. According to Memory Alpha, the Helmsman or Helm Officer was the Starfleet crew person who operated the Helm console on 23rd Century Federation starships. The helmsmen of those vessels worked in concert with the Navigator, who plotted the ship's course. On the USS Enterprise, the helmsmen controlled both the speed and attitude of the ship, as well as the ship's weapons and shield systems. Other spacefaring services used the term helmsmen, also, the 22nd century Earth Starfleet, for one, but it isn't clear if it's the same relationship with a navigation console, since vessels like the NX-01 Enterprise had a single helm station. By the 24th century, the helm and navigation stations became combined as the flight controller position, also referred to as the con. Also, control of the weapons and defenses is usually handled by the tactical station, or the ops officer, rather than their 23rd century equivalents under the control of the helmsman. To note, it says one possible explanation as to why the helm and navigation stations were separate in the 23rd century, but not before, is that the combination of flight control, weapons control, and navigation would have been too much for one officer to handle. For this reason, navigation would be assigned to a separate officer, and the stations became combined again later after the decision was made to once again make weapons control a separate entity. It should also be noted that the Enterprise D and E did not have a permanent helmsman or a senior helm officer, as this position was regularly shifted among several crew members, including those in senior staff. Most command division officers captains and commanders and executive officers in Starfleet have held the position of helmsman at least once in their careers. Examples of this are Jonathan Archer, Hikaru Sulu, Jean-Luc Picard, William T. Riker, Worf, and Chakotay. That was a mouthful. It was. <laughs> but some, some issues that I've had are, yeah. are addressed in that... Um, that was from Memory Alpha, correct? Yes. So, oh, well, won't we get into Star Trek Enterprise? Okay. And we'll talk about Travis Mayweather a little bit. So, he was a boomer. Mm-hmm. So, he was, he was born and lived most of his life in space, then joined Starfleet to explore. Yeah, he didn't want to do the same routes that his family did. Right. For, apparently, maybe a couple generations. Mm-hmm. But that's why Archer chose him, because he knew space so well. Right. And he knew the effects of living in space for long periods of time. Right. One one episode that comes to mind is where he's in the sweet spot. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was uh, uh, funny. Uh, funny to see, for those who don't remember, it's that spot of the ship where... The grav plating is like 
inverted or something and it's well it's just it's kind of like the middle of the ship where the two gravity fields kind of they they kind of just touch mm-hmm. and so there's that sweet spot where there's no gravity in that area and in the show it was yeah, kind of so like a long tube mm-hmm. so i think that was actually one of the service corridors that are in the nxo one okay where they can easily move uh, materials and parts of the ship. Doug Drexler, he's the person who designed the Enterprise and was very specific with all the ship's functions. He's actually mentioned that that was probably one of the service corridors where they can move big pieces of machinery and it was a variable gravity area so they could move large pieces of equipment more easily. Hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, so Mayweather was in that sweet spot where there's actually just zero G. Hmm, that's pretty cool. But I guess a lot of ships at that time had it, at least his own ship that he was on because right. he knew of a sweet spot. Yeah, and one of the things that you mentioned from that Memory Alpha article, how the helmsman and navigator seemed to be one position. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. If you're going to be flying, you might as well be plying the course. Exactly, yeah. So, And I, I liked the design of that helm station because it echoed some of the design elements from the original series with that little round... It's kind of like that round plotting station, and they had, yeah, it kind of looked like a radar, kind of a sensor sweep type of thing. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. And Travis seemed to be a, a decent helm officer. I don't yeah, think he had and, any issues. Yeah, and he always was able to pilot the ship even through the most dangerous conditions. Mm-hmm. And he made that ship do things that other people were like, whoa. But right. it got him out of a few dangerous situations. Also, Travis, because he was the most experienced pilot and he also piloted the shuttle on most of the away missions. Right, that's true. That's that's a good point, too, to make. Yeah, because sometimes a lot of these helm officers do double duty in piloting the shuttles as well, at least on important away missions. Right, and you also see them, at least in the original series, mm-hmm. Sulu would accompany the away team when they're beaming down to the planet, which I found odd, mm. seeing that he was just a you know the helm officer and I guess tactical officer if 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 we go by the definitions right uh, set out in Memory Alpha. So actually, yeah, let's uh, jump into the original series. Okay, where we have the position divided into two, where we have the helm officer and the navigation officer. Yes. So Chekhov was the navigator, mm-hmm. it, and it varied during the original first season, mm-hmm. since we didn't have Chekhov, I believe, until season two. Right. So there were many officers that served that nav- navigator role in the first couple seasons. And then we have Sulu, which drove the ship and controlled the weapons, which I always thought was weird. <laughs> Eric and I, we grew mm-hmm. up with the next generation. Yeah. Right. So this, those positions were always separate. 
And then when I go back and watch the original series and see that it's combined into one, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think they controlled the weapons so much as coordinating with the... Mm, well, they kind of coordinated with the tentacle deck because even Kirk could go like, oh, fire phasers, and you know that would send the relay signal to you know where they launched the missiles and stuff. The torpedoes. Right. right. So so you're thinking that maybe I think this. I think in, he was signaling the captain's orders to that deck. Mm-hmm. But because he was also piloting, I think he might have been doing the target acquisition okay. as well. Okay. Since he was plotting the ship and knew where all the enemies were, he could easily transfer that positioning tactical Okay. Or, or to the controllers, the torpedo controllers. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. He had that, he kind of had like a thing that Spock did. He had yeah. that viewer on right. the side. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think that's exactly what it was for, is for uh, target acquisition, and he relayed that to the other officers. Okay. I can buy that. I'd buy that. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sue is probably the f- most famous of our helm officers. Yes. And rightfully so, since he was the first. Well, I think he was also one of the best. Mm-hmm. I think he handled his job in all kinds of incredible situations that the Enterprise encountered. I mean, for God's sakes, the the ship was grabbed by, like, a giant hand <laughs> in one episode. <laughs> Right, you gotta control that. <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's, uh, that's a good point. Did you have any favorite moments of Sulu? I'm trying to think of. I mean, uh, when I think of Sulu, I don't necessarily think of him as the helmsman, but as the captain of the Excelsior. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I when I think of Sulu, I think of him more as as the original series, as the Navigator. Okay. Uh, of course, his character really broke out in Undiscovered Country mm-hmm. with the Excelsior, and I think it was a position that he deserved. I mean, it was it was great to see him advance to captain mm-hmm. and command his own ship. I think it was well-earned. Definitely. I, I, I associate Sulu more with the original series more than the movies. Even though the movies gave him more to do, and there was still great comedy there too, especially in uh, the fourth movie. Right. right. But in the fourth movie, showed us he could pilot a Klingon ship with no problems. He could pilot any Starfleet ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was very. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even being able to pilot a helicopter, which yeah, the technology is outdated, but he was able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I, I just he's very smart in that way as well. Right. You have to be really technical to be, I think, in navigation, because you're basically, or, or being the helmsman, you're controlling a massive ship going at warp speeds. There has to be some fine, fine calculation speed. there as well, and mental discipline, which I don't think a lot of, of these shows address. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a helmsman or a helms officer, you would have to have, like, this spatial awareness. Right to think in 3D, and to calculate everything on the fly. Right. 
So I think next to the science officers, the the helmsmen also have to be really smart in terms of their proficiency at controlling a ship. Right, and that might be why many of them end up becoming commanding officers because they know the ships so well. Right, you have to have such a, a a working knowledge of the ship, not just technically, but if you think about it, they would have to coordinate with engineering, mm-hmm. and they would also have to know a lot of science and math and theories behind the propulsion of the ship to know what to do in any situation. Right. So yeah, I think I think it's no surprise why so many captains maybe started their careers as helmsmen. Mm-hmm. But that, that's an interesting thing. Why helmsmen, why is that placed in the command oh, the role, command. I guess? I don't know. We have Archer, who was a, a pilot, mm-hmm. and he was a test pilot uh, for the NX series. Right. So, hmm, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's something to ponder. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's put into to that division. We have NASA astronauts, at least originally, were all test pilots. And when they pilot the shuttles, or when they did pilot the shuttles, they were usually commanders of the mission as well. Right, I remember um, in Apollo 13, at least, mm-hmm. and that's based on, on real-life events. So Lovell... The, the commander of the mission right. was in the pilot seat when they launched. Mm-hmm. And then after they launched, he switched, once they were into space and everything was cool, uh, he switched with uh, Kevin Bacon's character. I, I forget the who the astronaut was, sorry. Mm-hmm. But he switched with him right after. So I, I don't know if that has any bearing on why... It's in the the command division because Star Trek took place during the '60s. Right. Like, filmed during the '60s when you know NASA was probably in its biggest heyday. Yes. So I I think maybe they Gene just took elements from from that and put them in. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I really like Sulu. He's he's a really cool dude. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So next we have... Oh, my. Ilya, uh, the navigator. She was navigator in the motion picture. So I think she was Dalton? Is that yeah, right? she, she was Dalton. That's, that species was bald, but they were highly sexual, and in order to become Starfleet officers, they had to have a vow of uh, celibacy, I believe. Yes, an oath of celibacy, yes. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So we didn't actually see her pilot or navigate, sorry, that much in the movie because <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> she ends up dying and is replaced with well a robot. Her status is missing. Yeah, yeah, missing. Uh, missing in action. Missing in action, uh, but she's uh, replaced on board the Enterprise with with a a robot. Facsimile. Facsimile. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, a fake. <laughs> it's a fake. Uh, it's a fake. And you could tell she, she was fake because she had like a little glowing amber light in her neck. Yes. That was the only way she could tell she was a robot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we don't, we can't really speak too much about her abilities. But she was nice to look at. She was definitely nice to look at, even with her bald head. 
which the actress actually shaved her head oh, for the role. She? Yeah. She was a model, correct? Yes. Persis, I'm going to script the last name, but Persis Cambada. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, she passed away in 98, but she was an Indian model and actress. Hmm. She was from uh, Mumbai. Okay. Yeah. At 15 in 1965, at the age of 15, she was Miss India and participated in that year's Miss Universe pageant. Nice. Yeah, so she started working internationally in film. She started in the motion picture. But she was originally going to be in Star Trek Phase 2. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So that would have been a more (laughs) recurring role for her. Correct. That would probably have worked out better for her than just being in one movie. But I guess uh, she didn't find much of a career. Yeah, she had her head completely shaved for that role. That's dedication. That's that's real dedication. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's pictures of her like before and after, and she just had like these long, flowing locks of black hair. And it's like, whoa! Like she was completely dedicated to the role. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. Yeah, definitely. I I don't know if I would have shaved my head. For a role. You know what? I would shave my head for a role in Star Trek. I'm like, oh, you need me to be a, a male Delton? Yes. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, you have, you have an oath. Hey, if freaking J.J. Abrams comes up to me and like, hey, Eric, you can be in Star Trek 3. We'll make you a background extra. You're, we're going to give you the role of a Delton. You've got to shave your head. I'll be like, oh, I, I, I already have the buzzer in my hands, like shaving it off. I would do it. I would do it. Or you could be some weird android with a bald head. Hey, if being bald gets me into the next Star Trek movie, I'll do it. Okay. We'll, we'll start a writing <laughs> campaign. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe if I don't know. Next, we have Valares, who was the helm officer in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Valares. Yeah, so Kim Cattrall played her, and that movie was one of my favorite movies, Star Trek VI. Oh, mine too, definitely. And her role was spectacular. Because it wasn't just she's replacing Sulu. She was a major player in the whole movie. Yeah, and the conspiracy that took place in that movie. Right, exactly. And that's another thing. We don't get to see, especially if they're in the movies, we don't get to see them actually do a lot of their actual job. Right, right. Because <laughs> since some of the ships are basically what drives the story... You know, they're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't even talk about alternate universe Sulu. Oh, we didn't talk about alternate universe Sulu. He was, he's funny. <laughs> I, I do think he's funny. I yeah. i like that in the first movie, I don't think it was incompetence that he couldn't get the ship started. I think that he was just so excited to be on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It was just like weak knees, essentially. He was just stumbling. Right, because he, he was replacing someone that ha- was sick. Right. <laughs> so I think he 
was a good choice. Um, John Cho. John Cho, yeah. yeah. I really liked that they brought his fencing into the movie, right. referring to the one episode that we see Sulu fence in. Right. I liked that he was trained in it and that he was a pretty good choice for the away mission in the first movie. Right, and that, uh, I know we've talked about his weapon in the past. Uh, yeah. The, he, he pulls it out and it's like... Right. It's uh, interesting. Space magic. <laughs> Space magic. Uh, and the Romulan thing was weird too. It just kind of like popped open. Yeah, the weapons were kind of interesting. Yeah. But back to Valeris. Yeah, back to Valeris. Uh, She was Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spock kind of picked her to replace him. Did you know that Valeris was actually supposed to be Savick? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they had to replace the actress. Because Christy Alley declined to return. And... Nicholas Meyer was not a fan of uh, Robin Curtis's portrayal, who portrayed Savick. So, yeah. So, yeah. originally it was supposed to be Savick, but I'm glad that they changed it to Valeris mm-hmm. because it preserves Savick's character and that she's not a traitor. Right. Although we have several traitors in that movie. Yeah, we do. With Cartwright. For one, the guy who plays Odo is also in this movie as Major or no, a Colonel, Colonel West, and he was in on the conspiracy as well. So he mm-hmm. had a lot of. I, I don't want to turn us into a Star Trek VI conversation, <laughs> which I could do. But yeah, so that is that was an interesting character. If if uh, fans want to know more about the character, albeit in a novel format, mm-hmm. the novel Cast No Shadow depicts Valeris's life before and after the events of Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. That'd be interesting to see what happens to her after the fallout. Right. It, it, that would be interesting. Yep. So fa- fans can, if they want to know more, they can read that. And another interesting thing, which is weird, her undershirt was red, like a cadet, uh, mm. but the strap was uh, a different color. I, I forget what color her strap was. Those damn suits, while they are amazing and they look cool, mm-hmm. are some of the most confusing ever. Like, I can never keep straight of what each color means mm-hmm. and which department and this and that, and it was too much. Right. And another thing was weird. You had Scotty, who, when he was in the full uniform with the jacket... He had, like, the gold for engineering. But then when he was wearing his black vest, he was wearing the white undershirt, which is very... very, The white is command. He did hold the rank of captain at the time, I believe. I believe he did. So people were saying, oh, he's captain of engineering. BS. Why... (laughs) Uh, but anyway, that's getting off topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, uh, moving on to Demora Sulu, who is the daughter of Hikaru Sulu, and she carried on her father's legacy as helmsman of the Enterprise. Which is pretty awesome. It's very awesome. I'm glad they did that. Me too. Uh, it's It was also kind of a way to get other... 
um, Star Trek characters in there without having to get the actual actors in there. Yeah, and it was also nice to see or to learn that Sulu had time for a family. Right, which is one of the things that Kirk wasn't able to do. Right, and which was one of his big regrets as well. Mm-hmm. And I think meeting Demora Sulu kind of made him even more realize the passage of time that was happening. Because right. he even mentioned, he's like, oh, it's the first time I've seen you since you were a little girl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think time was a big, it was obviously the biggest theme in Star Trek Generations. Right, right. But she did. We did get to see her skills as a helmsman right. in that movie to actually navigate out of the Nexus. Right. The Nexus took a big chunk out of the Enterprise B, mm-hmm. which is where we lost Kirk. No fall to Demora. No, but I wonder if she ever beat herself up about that. Mm, interesting. That would be very interesting to like see. Yeah. How did her career change from that point forward? Actually, one of my favorite books that mm-hmm. deals with Demora Sulu, it's called The Captain's Daughter. Okay. And it's written by Peter David, okay. who is a fantastic Star Trek writer and just a fantastic writer in general. Right. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a good. It's a really good book. I think people should read it. Okay, I have to keep that in mind because I have several uh, Peter David books already, so that should be one I should pick up. Yeah, I have that one. It's a good read. So next, we'll jump into the next generation, and we'll start off with LaForge, who in season one was the con officer. Yes, he was. I mean, he wasn't a bad con officer. <laughs> <laughs> But there wasn't much for his character really didn't develop. Uh, in no, one, not at all. Which is, I'm really glad in season two he became in a, the engineer. Right. And then we have Wesley Crusher. Oh, uh, Wesley. <laughs> who uh, is acting ensign Wesley Crusher for the next couple of seasons of the next gen. Mm-hmm. And after that, we have kind of a rotating cast of uh, <laughs> of helm officers. Oh yeah, we've got a ton. Oh, Ro Laren. Ro Laren, who for several episodes was yes. a con officer. And I thought she was a great character. I really yeah. liked that they added a Bajoran to the crew, and someone who really wasn't with Starfleet. I mean, she was kind of like just commissioned. Right. By Picard. Her character was, was cool and wasn't your typical Starfleet officer. Definitely not. At first, she was butting heads with uh, Riker. Mm-hmm. And then in one of my favorite episodes with Ro, it's the one where they lose their memory and an mm. alien in, in, infiltrates the crew and tries to get them to destroy this other race that they've been battling. Yeah, but <laughs> Riker and Roe kind of hook up in that episode, which I enjoyed, seeing, c- considering they polar opposites, I, I guess, mm-hmm. to each other. I, I liked uh, Picard and Rose's relationship, mm-hmm. definitely. And uh, Wesley, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know he's not everyone's favorite, but no, I'm tr- I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously he was a gifted kid, right? 
and having the ability ability and the trust of the captain to pilot the ship. Yes. I mean, that's a pretty big responsibility for anyone, and to give it to, like, a 14-year-old or however old he was. Yeah, but when he came, when he became an acting ensign, I mean, yeah, it was definitely that he proved himself mm-hmm. under Picard's eyes. So, yeah. I mean, that was before he even became a cadet in Starfleet. Right, right, before he was a cadet. So he had more experience than any other cadet that went in. Right. So, and actually, the one Wesley episode that I like is when Picard and Wesley are stranded on that desert planet. Yes. That yes. is a fantastic episode. It really is. Uh, so that's that's the episode that stands out for me with with Wesley. Well, I also like that him and Data seem to be friends as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that that was because they did serve time next to each other. Like with the con station and navigation. That's yeah, that's a good point. Uh, another point I would make is Data's Data was childlike in his understanding of humanity. So maybe Crusher and Data were learning similar things at the at the same time about humanity. That's a good point. Yeah. The first time we see Data and Wesley together was on the holodeck where Wesley slips on a loose rock into the water, and Data just bolts over there and just rips him out of the water. <laughs> that was that was amazing. That's, I don't really have a point, but that was, uh, that was a good uh, Data-Wesley moment that I can remember. And next on our list of, of TNG era, Helmsman is Lieutenant Hawk from First Contact, who uh, piloted the ship into the temporal vortex. Which probably wasn't easy. (laughs) Yeah. If he went either left or right, up and down, either way, and exited the vortex... Who knows where they could have ended up? Yeah, they wouldn't have been protected by the temporal effect. Yes. So if, if they exited and came back out they might have disappeared, like the rest of Starfleet in the Federation. Interesting. So thank you, Hawk, for preserving the timeline, even though you get assimilated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you knew this, but there were persistent rumors that Lieutenant Hawk was originally intended to be Star Trek's first openly gay character. Really? I did not know that. The producers of First Contact and the actor Neil McDonough have denied this. But Uh, in the novel, Section 31 Rogue, he is depicted as being gay in that novel, which is also referenced again in the Star Trek tie-in novel series, where his partner serves as the tie-in's chief of security. Interesting. I don't see how it would have worked into Star Trek First Contact. Right. Like, there's no point in the story where you can be like, and I have this person that I love. Like, they, right. they were never, like, talking about their loved ones. It's their Starfleet officers. They do their job. And especially in a situation like First Contact, you're not going to, like, just be sitting around like, oh, hey, you know, who are you sleeping with? You right. know, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that, that would have been interesting if Hawk wasn't assimilated. I can see that popping up 
in the next movie, Star Trek Insurrection. Why not? Why? Who knows? Yeah. I I actually, I really like Hawk, and I like the actor. I like Neil McDonough. He's been in a lot of great stuff. Uh, more recently, he was in the Avengers as one of the Howling Commandos, hmm. and he just reprised that role in uh, the second season opener of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. Which I'm a big fan of, but yeah. I haven't seen, I, I want to, I just haven't. But no, I I, th- I would have loved to have Hawk not be assimilated and then flown off into space. <laughs> what a way to go. What a way well, to go. if you're going to go out, you go out with a bang. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, that that's that. Uh, moving on to Deep Space Nine. This is mainly referring to the Defiant since Space Nine is a sh- uh, space station. Yeah, you can't navigate a space station, although in, they did move it a few times. That's true, but uh, Chief O'Brien was the one that, to do that. Quote-unquote piloting it, yeah. yeah. And, but we did have, I don't mention it here because there was so, uh, a wide variety of episodes that had the runabouts, which uh, at the beginning of the series, yep. was the only way to get from here to there and to get the crew members off of the the ship, uh, sorry, the space station. But those were mainly piloted by senior officers. Right, yeah. You don't see, like, Ensign Smith piloting. <laughs> Ensign <laughs> Joe Smith. <laughs> like in... <laughs> the next generation where we have a ton of random... Uh, random ensigns. Random ensigns. You have senior officers doing... Uh, uh, granted, the, the runabouts are a smaller ship, so you're not going to have a whole crew with you. Right, right. But I guess they're... You know, everyone is at least trained in how to fly them. Yeah. Whereas I think a starship is much more specialized than a shuttlecraft. Right. But still, if anyone can pilot a shuttlecraft, but even so, you might want your best pilot on those missions. So that's why we do see the navigator or the helmsman pilot, like I said before, in really important away missions. Right. Uh, So on the Defiant, we have Lieutenant Commander Jadzia Dax, until her demise, pilot the Defiant. Even though she's not in the command division. Exactly. Uh, she's, she's science. Science, yeah. Well, do you think her past lives mm-hmm. contribute to her being the main helmsman aboard I do. the... Okay. I do. I, I think because of her prior knowledge and uh, relationship with uh, Benjamin Sisko, it just... He wants... Sense. Yeah, he wants the most trusted person mm-hmm. piloting the Defiant. Right. And Jedzia did an awesome job. Yeah, she did. Piloting, piloting the ship. But we do see, I think, other people jump on the con every now and then. Right, yeah. Uh, and then we have Ensign Nog. Yes. Who piloted for the last two years. During the Dominion War. Yeah. And uh, Nog is such a breakout character. Oh, know, absolutely. Maybe my favorite... Of all the navigators, uh, sorry, of all the helmsmen. Really? Of, of the regular helmsmen. Oh, wow. Okay. Because from what he came from, he was just like this little punk kid. 
Right. Then he becomes the Starfleet officer. He loses a leg. Which was, oh my god, that episode. I, I think he had one of the best character growth arcs in the entire franchise. Yeah. Not just Deep Space Nine. Yeah, definitely. The entire franchise. I agree. Yeah, I thought he was a fantastic character. And to, to be able... It's different piloting a ship in peacetime as opposed to war. Mm-hmm. Especially the the Dominion War, where it was crazy. Right. So his skills were invaluable in saving the ship numerous times. Because you have to fly in between other ships. You have to watch... Oh, you've, you've, yeah, you've got so much going on. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of all of that. Yeah, he had the lobes for it. <laughs> he, did, he did have the lobes for it. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it granted the Defiance a small ship, five decks, but still... It, it's highly maneuverable, and I think that takes a little bit more skill in piloting a ship like that. Right. Especially one that can go so fast. Moving on... To Star Trek Voyager, we start out with Stadi, I believe you pronounced yes. the name? Yes, yes, Lieutenant Stadi. And, uh, she was Betazoid. Oh, was she? Oh, okay. Yes, yes, okay. Yes, and the... Saw that. Yeah, because she was in Caretaker, mm-hmm. and when she was bringing over Tom, Tom Paris yep. in the shuttle, he was all like, hmm, oh, you're Betazoid, and, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. what am I thinking, and all this stuff. <laughs> right, right, uh, Tom. Uh, though, speaking of, okay, so, and she ends up dying in the first episode. Yeah, she, uh, when the ship was damaged because of the displacement wave, she died. But speaking of character growth, I think Tom Paris also had tremendous character growth. Where Nog is your favorite helmsman, mm-hmm. Tom Paris is my favorite helmsman. Okay. I thought he was great in Voyager. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he his character grew a lot. He even got demoted for a whole season. Right. And because of a mistake he made, and was able to bounce back and regain his former rank. So I think that says a lot about his character as well. Right, and he was in a penal colony, a Federation penal colony at the start of the episode, uh, of the series. Right, and originally this character was supposed to be... um, was supposed to be uh, one of Wesley Crusher's cadets, that trial episode right. from Starfleet Academy, because the actor Robert Duncan McNeil played the cadet who was who was the one that caused that incident in that mm-hmm. Next Generation episode. Right. So the character of Tom Paris, that was actually supposed to be that character from the Next Generation, mm-hmm. which is why he's in the penal colony, because he's serving for what happened during the Wesley Crusher incident, but I guess because they would have to pay the writer of that particular Next Generation episode royalties if they used that character's name mm-hmm. throughout all of Voyager, so they decided to go the cheaper route and keep the actor but change the character. Right. They should have just, like, subtly changed, like, a vowel in his name or something. <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked quite well. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Someone would have caught on. But, yeah, early on in Voyager, he was neither Starfleet or Maquis. 
Right. So he can actually sympathize with both sides. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Maquis a little more. And I, he even knew Chakotay. Right. So, you know, they had some... De- he had some dealings with the Maquis. Well, actually, I think he was Maquis at one point. Yeah, I think he was. And I, I think, like, yeah. on his first mission, he got caught. Sometime. Right. So he knew both sides right. of the conflict. And, yeah, he had one of... Uh, he had a great character growth throughout Voyager. Yeah. One of my favorite helmsmen of all time. I just thought he was just a smart character. He even helped the doctor. He was like an acting nurse after Kess left. Yeah, right. So he had a lot of things to juggle on board the ship as well. And he was the one that was mostly flying almost every mission. Right. And and the Delta Flyer. Right, yeah. Which was his, I mean, it's his baby. Right. He even had the uh, the Captain Proton switches in the Delta Flyer. Right. Yeah, to give was... it like the tactile feel. Right. I, I actually watched part of Season 7 episode, I think it was called The Drive, where yes. they were racing. The race. Yeah. Yeah. That uniform, I love that uniform. I wish we saw more of it. It's one of my favorite uniforms. The, the, the white with the, the kind of the chest stripe things. Yeah, right. that, that was a great suit. Yeah, I wish we saw more of that. I hope we get a replica of that from Anovos because oh, that would be cool. totally. Yeah, that'd be something that I would be interested in as well. Although they're, I like buying Star Trek stuff, but I'm cheap. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Me too. Like, man, some of those props and stuff—it's crazy. Yeah, I, if I if I could, man, I'd buy everything. Also, his dad—we didn't mention this—but his dad was an admiral. In right. Starfleet. Right. So, so he also had a lot to um, live up to as well. Right. So there was that pressure, which I thought added another layer to his character that I appreciated. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, we have the subspace channels. So frequencies open. This week's <laughs> question Who is your favorite helm officer? So we got a ton of answers. A ton? A ton. A ton of answers. Well, let's get to it. So from Google Plus. <laughs> oh. Ulf Hansen, I almost hate to say it, don't much like his character, but the officer I'd feel most comfortable having at the helm, which isn't wasn't really the question, would be Tom Paris. <laughs> I like his character. I have to disagree with Ulf there. <laughs> next, <laughs> Next we have... I'm guessing this is not... This has to be fake. Uh, his name's Joe Blow. <laughs> it says, uh, TNG, I had a crush on Ensign McKnight, and she deftly maneuvered the Enterprise through those pockets of null space in the episode In Theory. But I'm going to choose Ensign Ray- Rager, who spun the axis of the Enterprise to slip through the closing hatch of the Dyson Sphere and Relics. Okay. So, uh, I'm looking at uh, McKnight's... Yeah, I'm looking at McKnight's uh, character mm-hmm. uh, on Memory Alpha. She's pretty. Hmm. But she was in a few episodes. Okay. So I think it looks like a total of four episodes. Hmm. But I wouldn't have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have done that. <laughs> Neither would I. Thank you for your answers, Joe. Jersey Stevens said Parrish from Voyager. Um, 
Hold on, I'm going to have to look that up really quick. I don't remember Ensign Parrish. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm not. I was just thinking it was a, 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 a misspelling of Paris is what I was thinking that was. <laughs> okay, maybe. I, th- I swear I thought there was an actual character named Parrish. I, I don't know. Uh, okay, maybe he means Paris. I, I think. But good choice. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Parrish. No, uh, it's Paris. Yeah. Uh, Don, <laughs> Don Gilbert mm-hmm. said Commander Riker did a fairly nifty job maneuvering the Enterprise through the briar patch and making the most of the scoop using a manual stick control in Star Trek Insurrection. I think it was that movie. Well, you would be correct. Right. A yeah. lot of people didn't like the joystick, though. Yeah, I, I personally did not like the joystick. I didn't like it just because it was like, oh, we have to have more tactile control. Like, come on. Yeah. We've yeah. seen people command or control these ships with, like, freaking button presses and doing all this crazy crap. Right. And then we get a joystick? Like, come on. Well, the Enterprise NX-01 kind of had a, a joystick little thing. Mm-hmm. But it was only used for, like, minute maneuvering. Because mm-hmm. it, it, like, came out of the console, and Ensign Mayweather had to do it a few times. Right. But I don't. I wouldn't think that the Enterprise-E has this freaking thing that comes out of the middle of the bridge, like, hey, here's the joystick! Woo! Yeah. yeah, why wouldn't it be attached to the helm console? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but... That being said, all things aside, mm-hmm. I do think the R- Riker maneuver was a good maneuver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I it's agree. very creative. I-, I just wish they didn't use a freaking joystick to do that. I think whoever wrote that was like, oh, you know what would be really awesome? A joystick. <laughs> and everyone was like, yeah, man, that's awesome. We should do that. And then they did it. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen in Star Trek. Yeah. I I don't like that as much as I don't like the seatbelts in Nemesis yeah. or the new movie. Oh, yeah, in the new movie, I don't like them at all. Moving on. Yeah. Jerry Mayo mm-hmm. said Sulu Hikaru, one each native human. No one's... No one said thrusters at station keeping, sir, better. I agree, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Carver Sulu is pretty good. Yeah, Sulu Sulu's cool. Next we have Sean Saint. I also hate to say it, but Tom Paris... <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Why do you hate to say it? Tom Paris was good. Uh, was billed as a truly gifted pilot from the way it was talked about, Tom was the Starbuck of the Star Trek universe. I wish they did more to establish that, but that is my problem with Voyager in general. So many good ideas and concepts, but a lot of WTF with the execution. Whoa, 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 okay, okay. Sean is, like, officially on my crap list. I agree Uh, with you, Sean. Thank you for your answer. No! Damn it! (laughs) Voyager forever! (laughs) Use the journey. Yes, uh, Malk Engelsi said, Defo Paris for me too. Bad boy turned good all due to him being the best pilot. Yes. Gotta like the lots, bad boys. Lots of Paris love, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> next we have Harold Hirsch. Harold Hirsch. <laughs> why, why do you make it more complicated? You're like, Harold Hirsch. I don't know. Harold Hirsch said. <laughs> I like that guy. <laughs> who would always repeat the headings and warp levels and occasionally said things like, Sir, the engines aren't responding. Which one was that? Winky face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Carrie Knopf said, Paris, then Sulu. Love Paris, love. I'm actually surprised. I'm not. He is <laughs> the best. <laughs> Next, we have Aaron Darkwood, who says, Dax, because she's been overlooked and flew some pretty tight maneuvers in the Defiant. I agree with that. Yeah. She can fly tight maneuvers around me any day. I mean, what? Um, Adrian Parsons said, Demora. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adrian Parsons said, Demora Sulu, the actual next generation. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> she was literally the next generation yeah. of <laughs> the original series. True that. I would have liked to have seen an Enterprise B movie. <laughs> I want to see a freaking Captain Sulu series. People have oh, been yeah. people have been petitioning that for years. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Imagine having her be his helm officer. Say what? Whoa, just blue. My mind. <laughs> Next from Facebook, we have Eric Larson, Kim Brow Jr., epic name, who says Ensign Rowe. Another Eric, Eric Extreme. I, I love the name, Eric Extreme. That's, that's what they call me on weekends. Um, Eric Extreme said, Lieutenant Junior Grade Sam Lavelle from the episode Lower Decks of Star Trek Next Generation he reminds me of myself attempting to warp my way up the ranks in the chain of command for the company that I'm being employed by. He also has my jovial personality while remaining a seemingly sensitive person. Lower Decks overall was a great episode. It was. It was. Uh, a very good and uh, a lot of character development in each of those characters, even though we see them only a short time. For one episode, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I wish we saw more of them, actually. Yeah, uh, likewise. And next, uh, it's the first uh, an Instagram response. What? From the insane Robin, who also says Paris. Yes! But that is a biased opinion because this is the host <laughs> of a Star Trek Voyager podcast. It's not biased. Everyone loves Paris. Um, even even people who don't love Voyager like Paris. I suppose. So whatever, man. Uh, at on Twitter, at Lamberti Anthony said, "Does LaForge count? I know it wasn't long for him, but I would say him. You can definitely say LaForge. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like we mentioned, there wasn't much going on in his character." at the helm, but when he was there, he did a good job. He did. He was a much better engineer, though. Oh, much better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how that... Like, Best career move ever. <laughs> how do you connect that? Yeah, I, I don't understand how that works. But, uh, yeah. And actually, it's funny, in the first season, they go through more 
So we go through more engineers. Than... Engineers than they do helmsmen for the entire series, it seems. Seriously. Next, we have from Star Trek Riza. Ooh. Andres Butcher. Andreas Butcher oh. Mac. I can't read. Said Travis Mayweather because he is the pioneer. But Tom Paris has left the biggest impression as the pilot. Hmm. Yes, even more Tom Paris. Uh, yeah. John Hell yeah. <laughs> says, I completely agree with that. Travis was the guy who made it out there first, but Tom Paris left that impression that he was the pilot, as you said. <laughs> Our good friend of the show, Clive Burrell, said, Ooh, good question. I'll stick with Sulu on this one, although I was tempted to go with Dax or Nog for a curveball on the Defiant. Not a big Paris fan. Well, you're in the minority here. Mayweather was a bit wet, and Wesley or Jordy weren't spectacular. Sulu was the original and set the standard. Yes, very good points there. Next, Andreas replies to Clive, I can follow your thoughts, but I do not want to make it as easy to me. Sulu is a good choice. I decided against Sulu because Mr. Takei has set the standards for us, but Mayweather and the generations before Sulu have set the standards for Starfleet. This Mm. is my very personal opinion I want to explain in more detail. It's not my intention to change your mind. Very polite. Indeed. Thank you for being a polite Star Trek fan. Indeed. And uh, I know we said uh, your favorite pilot was was Tom. Yes. I said my favorite regular pilot was Nog. Okay. My favorite pilot is Archer. Oh, from uh, First Flight? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. He even got the flight jacket. Yeah. The one that's uh, that Anovos made. Right. Yeah. So that that's my choice. And that episode, first flight, it was very the what was it the right stuff? Yes. Type of thing. Yes, definitely. It is is very much like the right stuff. Yeah, it definitely echoed that you know test pilot mentality from the sixties. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it's it was a good episode. I liked it a lot. And finally, do you know what puts my quantum state into flux, Eric? I have no idea, but do I want to know? I think you do. Okay. Whatever happened to the Soliton Wave project, was it abandoned? Mmm. So those who don't remember what this is, (sighs) it's basically uh, warp speed without having warp drive. So you have this uh, Soliton Wave Generator. Okay. Okay. that generated this wave of subspace that a ship rode on, uh, like a surfboard, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, to a destination where another post transmitted and sent out a wave to disperse the original Soliton wave. Mm. And these were planetary bases that they start out with, and we only see the first experiment, and, of course, there's... It goes wrong. Yeah, a plot point in many Star Trek episodes. But yeah, uh, why don't we see more of this? Uh, I think it would make sense to have this, especially uh, through common trade routes. Like, you could put a cargo container 
that doesn't need a warp drive right there and just have it <laughs> And then if, it, if the thing malfunctions, has enough energy to destroy a planet, I think that's why they got rid of it. <laughs> well, if you think of it like that, well. it's an issue. But with more development, I think it would have had potential. Yeah, but how do you develop that when, you know, it, it has the potential to destroy a planet? I mean, yeah, they were able to disrupt the wave with photon torpedoes, but are you going to do that every time an experiment happens? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the risks are worth it. Well, risk, risk is part of the game. Yeah, I think it's something that should be developed personally because it just makes sense economically to do so. And you could have it between, instead of having it between two planets, have it be between two dead objects. Um, I guess. Like dead planetary objects, like uh, asteroids or whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that's that's what puts my quantum state into flux. <laughs> I, I don't know, I think you're going to run out of these. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. That's it for this week's show. I hope you all enjoyed it. Eric. Yes. If we were looking for you on the internet, how would we find you? You can find me everywhere. Uh, just search for TrekkieB47 on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I'm on Facebook, that, but that's more personal. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> also, Star Trek Ryza. Mm. And you can find me as a host of the Ranger Command Power Hour, also on this great network of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Indeed. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Star Trek Riser at Nova Charter. Simple enough. Indeed. So until next time. Keep on trekking. Go go trek. Great. Nope, stop it. No. I don't like Riker's beard that scratches. <laughs> You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.